problem in Europe with an activist judiciary is there's no political check at all. These guys are not politically appointed. They they grow up as little baby judges, and then they become you know middle aged judges, and then they become senior judges, and、um, they never encounter the world except in a kind of yes sir, no sir, your honor, sir,、um, deferential way.、Uh, and once they decide they can do something, there's nobody who can persuade them it's a bad idea. Welcome to episode 321 of the Cyber Law Podcast, brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. Thanks for joining us. We're lawyers talking about technology, security, privacy, and government.、Uh, I and the views we're going to express today do not reflect re- reflect those of our institutions, our clients, our families, or our pets.、Uh, um, we're just going to do a news roundup today because we don't have a、uh, an interview. We'll have another interview next week,、uh, uh, but we've got a lot to talk about, so we're going to fill up a fair amount of time. I I think I'm、uh, uh, going to be joined today by Gus Hurwitz, who's a law professor, uh, uh, director of the is it、uh, Governance and Technology Center at University of Nebraska College of Law. Gus, is that what it is? That's correct. That's、uh, the、All、new、right. center I'm putting together. Excellent, terrific,、uh, and Nate Jones, co-founder of Culper Partners, formerly with the Justice Department and the National Security Council.、Uh, welcome, Nate. Thank you, Stuart. Good to be back. Good to have you. Okay, and Nick Weaver,、uh, perennial favorite,、uh, uh, who's a senior researcher and lecturer in computer science at UC Berkeley. Nick, great to have you. Thank you. And I'm Stuart Baker, formerly with NSA and DHS, and the host and chief provocateur for today's program. Um.、Uh, uh, Nate,、um, Section 230 is back in the news.、Uh, you and I、uh, got there early, uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, I think have laid out the、um, the partisan debate.、Uh, what we're starting to see now are actual proposals. The Justice Department had a proposal.、Uh, uh, Senator Hawley has put together an actual. Bill on Section 230.、Uh, what is what are they、uh, trying to do at this point? Yeah, I think we're getting beyond、um, some of the high level rhetoric now, and actually getting down to brass tacks and seeing what people want to do. We don't have actual legislative language from DOJ, but we do have a a very long, detailed report from the work that they've done over the last several months,、uh, trying to. To figure out where they want to take 230, and、um, uh, you know the the categories they're focused on here are not entirely surprising. There are basically three big areas where they want to take a relook at at the immunity provided to tech companies.、Um, one focuses on、uh, what they call incentivizing online platforms to address illegal content. Um, this、uh, mainly focuses on things that are either per se illegal, things like child、um, sexual explicit material, and things like that,、um, or individuals who are known and, and consistently trafficking in, in unlawful activity on these platforms. And they would repeal、uh, some of the legal protections afforded to these companies when they、um, know or willfully turn a blind eye to this sort of content on their services. Um, the the second、uh, part of this is、uh, what they call promoting open discourse and greater transparency.、Uh, 
Um, and this this actually aligns very well with uh, Senator Hawley's proposal, not entirely surprisingly. Uh, they don't get into actually defining the term good faith, which is where he focuses, but they do um, recommend that reform should provide a statutory definition to this term. Um, and uh, Hawley has has taken them up on that that request and actually put some language out there now that we can look at and he um, he defines the term good faith uh, where you get these legal protections to be um, the essentially the equal and unbiased enforcement of your terms of service um, and uh, and obviously his motives are um, along one outline of the the political spectrum but I think, um, as, as Gizmodo pointed out in a piece uh, over the weekend, uh, they take issue a little bit with his failure to actually influence what those terms of service are. Hawley, Hawley cont- would continue to, to allow these companies to define their terms of service and to, to determine essentially what kind of content they plan to take off of their platforms. And, and would simply um, try to incentivize them to enforce those rules more even-handedly, in his view. And that's per- that's pretty much what the Justice Department's report comes. That's out. right. Uh, it's, it strikes me that that is, I won't say table stakes, but that's a that's the minimal test that you could propose uh, or a requirement that you could impose without starting to sound um, partisan. Right? You're just yeah. saying. You, you you make your rules, Just and fair. then we expect you to actually live by them. Yeah. Um, and and I think Gizmodo's objection was, um, if you've ever read a privacy statement, uh, or really even some of the rules that uh, uh, people have put out about content moderation, they are so lawyer ridden already that it leaves the uh, companies lots of room to say. Oh, yeah, I, I, I'm living by my uh, uh, my terms of service. You just didn't read them closely enough. Yeah, I'm not sure I entirely buy that argument. I think um, you know there's a there are a lot of other pressures that I think will disincentivize companies from writing certain things out of their terms or writing them in. Um, but I think you know I think the the bigger issue here and why uh, whether it's Hawley or others are loath to get into this debate is because a lot of what these companies have banned I think people pretty um, uh, uniformly agree that those things should be eliminated from these platforms and so it, it's a dangerous territory to try to get into um, debating these companies about their terms of service when they've banned things like promotion of violence or hate speech and things like that, because um, then you get into trying to essentially argue that these those things are OK. So it's not it's not all that surprising to me that Hawley doesn't want to go down that path and instead wants to, I, to I, focus I'm on not more fair handed application of these things. Yeah, I, I think you can certainly argue about whether they are applying their, their terms of service in an even handed way. Uh, uh, you know, I, uh, this, uh, um, this, yeah, I this think that's about- why 
I think that's again why he's focused on the fair-handed application and not what the terms yeah. of service themselves say, because that that then takes you down a path of of fighting about things that I think are in many cases pretty unpopular. So uh, the other thing that I th- saw in Hawley's bill that I didn't see in the uh, uh, Justice Department report, although I suppose it's not inconsistent with it, is he actually gives people a right of action if they think they've been taken down inconsistent with the terms Mm -hmm. of service. Um, And uh, I see a a significant difference there. Uh, It's one thing to say we're not going to protect you from laws that apply to everybody else, as opposed to we have a special liability law for you. Uh, It seems to me that the First Amendment implications of the second are a lot bigger than the implications of the first. Yeah, and DOJ does have one of their other proposals is to um, clarify federal government enforcement capabilities and make it clear essentially that civil enforcement actions brought by the federal government are not precluded by 230 immunity protections. And and I I think this is actually a really um, interesting issue that's that's sort of ripe for for a little bit greater focus in this debate. Because I think it's it's a bit dangerous to go down this road of letting each and every user sue every time they think there's they there's been some unfair or uneven application, whether it's treatment of their content or treatment of others differently than they perceive they've been treated. And and instead, you know, I, I guess if if we're going to go down this road, I think it would um, behoove us to be a little bit more cautious about opening that door and instead focus on other potential avenues of application uh, of of whatever rules that we're going to set out for these companies and do it in a little a way that's a little bit more um, circumspect uh, and and doesn't you know essentially leave it open to to harassment by the the masses uh, of the twitter sphere so to speak so it's going to be it is going to be interesting now what the democrats will do with this if there were democrats on the bill that would have uh, followed more or less the direction of the uh, justice department report and uh, in earn it and said you know um, we're not going to allow you to engage in facilitation of uh, um, uh, uh, child sexual abuse material. Uh, and, and so you could see Democrats pursuing that. Then we have uh, Senate uh, 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 former Vice President Biden saying, no, we should just revoke it, uh, which I'm sure he will walk back. But it does raise the question, are there going to be Democrats that are willing to tinker with 230 or does the fact that this comes from Hawley and the Bill Barr Justice Department uh, mean that uh, everybody with a Democratic uh, uh, identification is obliged to oppose it? Yeah, I think you're right about Biden. I think both his and Trump's sort of, you know, high level repeal 230 comments are a little bit exaggerated. And I think both of them probably want to see more focused uh, tinkering with this or repeals. I, I think I think you're going to see broader support for this among Democrats. Uh, what I don't think you'll see is Democrats um, gravitating toward this good faith uh, definition and joining Holly's cause. I think you'll see them focusing on on trying to incentivize other other uh, priorities, other policy priorities that they have. Um, one of them, as you noted, is is you know stamping out CSAM material on these platforms. 
the Earn It Act has been something that they that has drawn some Democratic support, and I think you'll you'll probably continue to see that. The one issue with with both the DOJ report in that regard and uh, and with the Earn It Act has been the encryption debate. And the we know that that's something that DOJ has been pushing aggressively on. It's been something that has um, been the focus of critiques of the Earn It Act. And I think that will continue to give some Democrats and, frankly, some Republicans a little bit of pause about supporting some of these proposals without some kind of, of um, greater clarity on the issue of, of end-to-end encryption and whether these companies have to build so-called backdoors into these services so that they can police this type of content and provide uh, evidence of, of wrongdoing in some cases. So I am hoping that we will get somebody from the Justice Department uh, to come on the program next week uh, to uh, talk about, uh, uh, actually not next week, week after next, uh, to talk about uh, uh, the uh, 230 proposals, and we'll ask them questions about how they uh, uh, see Senator Hawley's and earn it. Uh, uh, proposals interacting with what uh, uh, the report recommends. So that'll be fun. Uh, uh, Nick, uh, the National Security Agency uh, has a pilot program out on securing securing the DNS system for defense contractors, basically uh, uh, telling them to use a uh, uh, secure DNS resolver. Um, and and uh, Ann Neuberger made the claim that it would resolve 92% of the, the attacks that uh, um, they see on defense contractors. Uh, my question is, uh, this: if, if this is a good idea, why aren't we all doing it? Uh, a fair number of people are. This is actually OpenDNS's business model, um, is okay. that what you do is you run a DNS resolver and you censor the results. You go, these domains are associated with malcode, censor them. These domains are associated with porn, censor them. Um, and it's actually a fairly common technique. Um, and the basic thing is what you're doing is doing a privacy trade-off. You're giving your DNS to um, NSA or whatever company is offering the service so they see what your DNS lookups are. And for defense contractors, what's the privacy implication? Um this seems like a really good idea, um, and truth be told, I think basically they should um, expand it. That should be the kind of service that the DHS does for anybody who wants it. Yeah, you would think so, and and I, there are some nonprofits that do this as well, if I remember right. Uh, um, uh, Phil Reitinger, who uh, uh, helped start government cybersecurity initiative has um, been touting their quad nine uh, uh, DNS resolver uh, uh, on the basis that it's also secure. Um, so it, uh, what you're saying is we, we could have the technology that NSA is trying to get defense contractors to adopt and we could just do it uh, ourselves. Yes. And this is one of those initiatives that I, I applaud the NSA for doing and, the only thing that makes me go, huh, is why wasn't this done 10 years ago? 
That is, that's a great question. Uh, and um, uh, in any event, if you're looking to do that, look for a Quad 9 or uh, any other uh, secure DNS resolver, and you ought to be able to take, uh, uh, get the protection that the NSA is getting for uh, defense contractors. Uh, Gus, I, I noticed that uh, the, uh, the French Conseil d'État, uh, Supreme Court, has stepped in and said about a uh, takedown law, um, the one that required uh, uh, takedown within 24 hours of uh, uh, certain uh, uh, content and within an hour, if I remember, of other kinds of content. And the, the French court said, oh, come on. That's never going to work. You're going to end up over uh, deleting all kinds of stuff. I was surprised that the court was, uh, frankly, that, Hip. <laughs> yeah, the, the French courts is the bastion of reason. Um, and actually, this uh, echoes an interesting trend that we're seeing in a lot of the activity um, uh, in this area, uh, this area being technology law generally in Europe right now, which is to say the courts are uh, showing some signs of reason. Uh, well, we see the regulators continuing to push ever more aggressively against uh, uh, the tech sector. Um, one of the really interesting things uh, to happen uh, just in the last couple of days, the uh, head of the British uh, CMA, the Competition Authority, uh, stepped down from his post after two years, uh, basically saying, look, I was given this position to be more aggressive in enforcement, um, and the law is holding my hands back. I can't be more aggressive, so I'm going to leave uh, and uh, uh, go into politics to try and lobby for more aggressive enforcement authority. I, the courts won't let me do it. Um, and th this echoes a, a, a lot of what we've been seeing going on. Uh, so uh, on the other side, the French uh, uh, court's reasonableness uh, uh, coin, uh, they did also just affirm a $50 million fine against uh, Google for GDPR violations. Um, so that's uh, uh, perhaps not so uh, happy. But uh, the European Commission is uh, opening a antitrust inv investigation against Apple for Apple Pay and the Apple Store. And this is uh, on the uh, tailcoats of two years ago, the $5 billion fine against Google that the European Commission uh, imposed um, for the uh, Android Play Store um, and two other uh, fines totaling uh, $9 billion. Now, Google in January has uh, begun the process of uh, challenging these in the European courts. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that goes. Uh, and the, the last piece that I'll uh, uh, add to this is a really fascinating, really interesting um, uh, rejection by the general court of uh, DG Comp's uh, uh, refusal to allow the merger between uh, Telefonica um, uh, uh, and uh, O2 and 3. Um, uh, and this was a huge blow to European merger enforcement, basically saying, look, you need to have a possibly even stricter than American standard of proof in order to burden of proof in order to uh, block a merger. It's not just enough to say this could harm competition, but there needs to be some real substantial likelihood that a merger will block competition. Um, so uh, in the competition antitrust tech space generally, a lot of the European strong aggressive push uh, to take action against the tech sector is seeing a lot of resistance from the courts, which is, is fascinating. That is interesting. I mean, and part of it, I'm sure, is that uh, public opinion has done a U-turn on uh, 
big tech companies now, uh, especially in uh, Europe, but increasingly in the U.S., there's really no no requirement you can't pile on them and no penalty you can't assess against them. Um, everybody's happy to see it. Uh, uh, and it may be that the courts just haven't caught up with that. Uh, uh, the, they're still living in, in, in the world of 1998. And they wonder why. Why do all these special rules now suddenly exist for punishing uh, the tech sector? Uh, that's my guess about uh, uh, what's going on here. Uh, otherwise, uh, the problem in Europe with an activist judiciary is there's no political check at all. The, the, these guys are not politically appointed. They they grow up as little baby judges, and then they become you know middle aged judges, and then they become senior judges, and um, they never encounter the world except in a kind of yes sir, no sir, your honor sir, um, a deferential way. Uh, and once they decide they can do something, there's nobody who can persuade them it's a bad idea. Yeah, and uh, perhaps it's that same slowness of uh, a change that in this case is serving as a check on uh, uh, aggressive change in the political sphere. Um, so that, that separation of powers dynamic, uh, who, who knows where it ultimately takes us. But uh, it, it can't be bad to see some pushback against uh, populist um, uh, pressures. Um, and uh, in the end, hopefully it will lead us to a more reasoned approach to these issues uh, uh, generally. The, the German uh, counterpart to the French uh, hate speech law, for instance, um, there's uh, uh, a new change in the uh, German uh, network uh, law that requires uh, the social media platforms to take down criminal content within uh, 24 hours, much like the French one. Um, uh, and the change here is that uh, the criminal content, when you take it down, you also need to report it to German authorities, um, the German government. Um, yeah, I actually think that's a good idea. In, in the U.S., um, that doesn't happen. They take it down and then they say, well, if you want to see it, let me see your subpoena. Uh, and uh, if the U.S. isn't investigating somebody, then they never find out who was taken down. So, for example, for all we know, um, Twitter or Facebook was taking down that guy who uh, um, uh, killed people on the uh, Florida uh, military base. Uh, he, he did have some uh, uh, you know, terrorist sympathy uh, uh, postings. Uh, they may have been taken down, but they were not disclosed to the U.S. government, uh, uh, and so they never got a chance to investigate what he might uh, be capable of doing. So I, I, I actually think the Germans got that one right. I'd rather they were requiring it be, to be given to the authorities than that they just said, take it down and, and don't tell us what you've done. Yeah, and in my mind, I, I don't have strong views about whether or not this particular approach is necessarily good or bad or the uh, Facebook uh, Supreme Court of content is necessarily good or bad. What I think is good is we're trying a lot of different things and we're experimenting. And so long as uh, we're learning lessons uh, from what works and what doesn't, what works better, what works worse. I think we don't know what solutions are right now. So trying different things uh, and uh, not having the hubris of saying we know what we must do and that's all that we're going to do uh, is a uh, important thing for the place that we are today. I, I have to say, as we finish this up, uh, I, that Microsoft is 
leading the way, and I don't mean that as a compliment. They, uh, again, this week, uh, speaking of the fact that there's an App Store investigation in the European Commission, Microsoft uh, President uh, uh, Brad Smith came out and said, you know what we need? We need uh, antitrust investigations of those App Stores. This is like the second time in two weeks that he has said, you know what my competitors deserve? Regulation. Uh, he wanted to do it for uh, uh, face uh, recognition, and now he would like to do it for Google and Apple in their app stores. Uh, the guy is really, he's, he's, he's learning to work the system the way AT&T worked it in the 20s, uh, uh, and he, he really deserves to be watched because uh, um, it's a, a remarkably effective uh, uh, marriage of corporate interest and the uh the uh, the times yeah and there, there are legitimately sour grapes uh about still about the microsoft antitrust inv investigation uh, in the late 90s and as a legal matter he's exactly right the government won that case and uh the uh, uh apple uh, app store case would be a slam dunk arguably under that precedent now the law is uh, moved on a little bit with two-sided markets and the Amex case, but uh, he has every right to look at what Apple and Google are doing right now and say, hey, you guys raked us over the coals two decades for this same stuff. Come on, man. Come on. Yeah. And and look, the, 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 the Amex case, I think, stands for the proposition that you've got to be sophisticated when somebody comes in and says, uh, there's a platform and I, I'm losing, that you don't just, just jump on it, but that uh, you, you actually ask, how does that platform work? How does competition work? Uh, is the platform in competition with another viable competitor? Things like that. Uh, but, you know, I think everybody would recognize that uh, there are two platforms here. Uh, and so you you don't just say Apple controls its own uh, ecosystem and therefore it's a monopolist. But when you ask, where's the money? The money's in the Apple app store. It's not in the uh, Android app store. And so I'm guessing that from a uh, income point of view, Apple probably is responsible for 85% of the app income uh, and app revenue uh, globally. Yeah, and I think, Stuart, you're going to be blown away by what I'm about to say. I think we should move on before you open the door to me talking about pleading standards <laughs> of civil procedure and how uh, that relates to the Amex case. Sold. <laughs> All right. Uh, Nick, uh, let's talk about actual hacking. Uh, um, hackers breaking into, actually not even breaking in, just getting on LinkedIn, getting connected, and then sending people malware uh, over LinkedIn's, uh, you know, I used to be really scathing about LinkedIn's email system, and I still think it sucks, but it's not quite as bad as it used to be, so I won't say more than that. Uh, but nonetheless, like any email system, it'll deliver a document with malware on it, and it appears that uh, you can go to LinkedIn, you can figure out exactly which firm and exactly which people you'd like to compromise and just send them documents to, uh, to compromise them. Right, and the only real interesting part that people are seizing on is that they're using LinkedIn's communication channel. But the real problem with LinkedIn is it's God's gift to open source intelligence on a company. Oh, that, for sure. That yeah. um, I made a sport during the Snowden doc dumps. Whenever there was a new NSA program name, I would search for it on LinkedIn. And I forget at least one of them. I found the guy, the program manager in charge of it. 
of a top secret NSA program because he mentioned that keyword in his LinkedIn profile. Yeah, because it was it was an in group uh, message uh, until uh, it became you know a public message. Yeah, it's uh, uh, people people say, well, look, people are looking for jobs, and and so they are selling, and uh, a lot of the discretion that people usually show goes out the window window when they're looking for uh, a new opportunity. Yeah. They really basically, I think that every program name for anything remotely confidential should be something bizarro random like nuclear chicken or something like that. Um, And you should regularly search for those words on the net in general and LinkedIn in particular, because that will tell you who's been talking. That's I I think that's. Uh, quite fair uh, to to search LinkedIn for those um, uh, you know uh, two word uh, uh, classified uh, uh, locators and then ask people why are you advertising the fact that you have access to this on uh, the internet uh, and uh, uh, you could you could end that practice pretty fast I. Speaking of which, I, I I have to say I have zero sympathy for people who firebomb uh, uh, cop cars. So I was delighted to see that surfing LinkedIn could also bring bring them to justice. Uh, did you follow that case? It was it was remarkable. This woman um, uh, uh, firebombs a police car, nobody in it, but uh, uh, and she's wearing a mask, but she's also wearing a very unique T-shirt and. Uh, a whole sleeve full of tats um, and the, uh, you know, some pretty creative law enforcement searching uh, uh, her. Basically, the FBI went all Bellingcat on her and uh, <laughs> did the classic open source pull a gazillion threads and they all pointed to the same person. And you can read about the in the criminal complaint for entertainment purposes. Yeah. Surely at least one lesson here is uh, if you've got a sleeve full of tats, wearing a mask is not as good as wearing a long sleeve shirt. Uh, you can get these flesh colored sleeves with tattoos on them that aren't your tattoos. Even better. So here's here here's something you could you could start a whole business producing sleeve colored tattooed uh, 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 so tattoos on sleeve colored uh, um, uh, uh, shirts uh, that are references to your favorite uh, member of the media or other organizations you hate right so that they will end up busted and having to explain themselves uh, uh, it could be a lot of fun sleeve will fly off the shelf. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, although I'm not sure how many tats he's really got. Uh, all right. Uh, well, while we're uh, enjoying ourselves uh, making fun of people who don't have good OPSEC, uh, eBay, uh, there, there, there's a, a, an indictment of a whole bunch of eBay execs for showing some of the worst judgment uh, that I have seen. These are, uh, Nick, uh, these guys were um, mad at a couple of, uh, a couple that produced a newsletter that was critical of eBay. uh, And they just decided 
to lose all sense of proportion in an effort to uh, um, persuade them to stop saying mean things about eBay. Yeah, and it's truly loony because you go to their site and it's kind of this innocuous inside baseball guide for those who are selling on eBay, Amazon, etc. commercially, um, making people aware of fraud issues and everything else. And for some reason, eBay just went nuts. And um, six ex-employees are being prosecuted for a very organized, massive campaign of harassment, including things like sending a bloody pig mask. And I think their theory was and, eBay and was that of lock, live cockroaches, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and tried to send a fetal pig, but that uh, got stopped by the sender. Um, and it's really bizarre because their model was not harass this person so they stop, but, oh, we're going to then offer our services to help out with this harassment. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come in and rescue them from their harassers, and then they'll see that eBay is really a good company that deserves a better press. It, it, it's a, it, it's the weirdest thing. This, this is, this is, uh, it's not fully a do because there's more than two of them, but, uh, that's what it is. They, they talk themselves into this, or maybe they just kind of got into it. Some of these things were, you know, juvenile jokes. And some of these people are not that far removed from adolescence. Uh, uh, a, and it just kind of got worse. Um, not just the harassment, but the, then they got they got caught casing their the, the, the these people's house uh, and uh, then they 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 told a story that they had come up with which is also known as perjury uh, and so as it got worse and worse they kept digging until they really uh, they 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 uh, they hit uh, indictment and how ridiculous a target is it the site in question is not making a big deal out of it when they could be going all in on the site eBay doesn't want you to read because yeah. that's not their brand. Their brand is we do good, solid, decent inside baseball reporting for sellers. So here's one thing that I was puzzled by and uh, uh, Nate or Gus is free to jump in here. Um, it, they, they're, they're charged with felony cyber stalking. Uh, and uh, I thought, really, what is felony cyber stalking? And it turns out that uh, it is a felony to um, use interstate commerce uh, and the internet uh, uh, to, with intent to harass, place someone in reasonable fear of death or cause emotional distress. You know, using the internet to cause in emotional distress, I you know if that's a felony, there's a felony every second of the day in the United States. Uh, so I I kind of wonder whether this law is a law that will withstand scrutiny over the long haul. The president of the United States should lawyer up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> After all, MAGA means making attorneys get attorneys. Uh, Giuliani <laughs> needs an attorney that. <laughs> Yeah, you know, really, it, 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 causing substantial emotional distress with intent 
over the internet. Yeah, now, of, of course, lawyer hats, the, uh, with intent to harass, yeah. is doing a whole lot of work there, uh, for this to, uh, uh, survive a lot of attacks and, uh, but harass, how is harassment different from causing emotional distress? Yeah, uh, it, the, it's, uh, one of the challenges of laws like this always has been, how do you make, uh, harms concrete? How do you make it, uh, this not just targeting, uh, speech? Um, so I, I agree. It's a, a difficult, uh, law. I, I, the other thing that I find striking about this law, and I'm sorry, it's, uh, uh, maybe it's just me. Uh, it's not just that you put the person in fear, uh, reasonable fear of death or seriously, serious bodily injury, but you, uh, put them in reasonable fear of bodily injury to a pet. Okay. A service animal. Yeah. An emotional support animal or a horse. It, it, you, you can imagine that somebody systematically was going through and saying, well, it's not just service animals now. PETA probably said, uh, oh, what about emotional support animals? And what about horses? Everybody loves horses. Uh, you know, I, if I were the cow lobby, I'd be pretty upset. But uh, um, it, it, what, a, what a strange statute. I, I would love to understand uh, how, uh, how it got in here. It's been... Uh, it was added in 1996 and amended in 2000 and 2006 and 2018. So there's been a lot of action on this uh, in Congress, if not necessarily in the courts. All right, let's do some quick hits and get done. Um, Nick, um, I thought this was a, this was good news for child abusers everywhere. Zoom has buckled and said it will encrypt uh, end to end even the calls of people who are not who are getting the account free you said well maybe not quite as bad as you think yes so zoom is doing it with free accounts have to pass their own risk limited audit and have a real phone number so zoom's model has always been on this um if you want end to end we want prtts that can actually work um, and that seems to be that's in can register and trap and trace. We want to be able to dig up your records to find yes. out who the hell you are and what you're doing. Yep. And the other thing is, is Zoom's encryption can't be and will never be on by default except through forced corporate policies, because so much of Zoom's value add requires them to be able to listen in on conversations. They, uh, Cloud recording means the cloud, a.k.a. Zoom, has to be listening in. Um, the phone interface means you have to have it in the clear because the phone system's in the clear. So there's all so these Zoom features that are just incompatible with end-to-end. Yeah, it would work fine for uh, for organized crime, but not for, uh, for most corporations. No, we're uh, fine for most corporations as long as you're willing to say you can't use the dial-in backup. Um, so right. you'd have That's to true. be able to say it a but I, policy. It'll be a long time before people say that because they all have customers who might not uh, uh, like that and they don't want to tell their customers they can't talk to them. Okay. Um, I, 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 I cannot 
uh, refrain from uh, uh, being appalled at this uh, announcement from uh, the Freedom Caucus, uh, actually from from the Republican Caucus. It's not the, just the Freedom Caucus. Jim Jordan says he's talked to a bunch of uh, um, Republican uh, uh, ranking members and uh, committee chairs, and they will not allow FISA reauthorization to go forward until the Durham investigation of FISA abuses in uh, uh, the post-election period of 2016 is complete, which sounds uh, almost plausible if you ignore the fact that when he says FISA the first time, he's not talking about anything that he's talking about when he says FISA the second time. Uh, this is basically giving ISIS and Al-Qaeda uh, and Al-Qaeda in Yemen a pass from the use of tools that we have uh, and use every day for criminal investigation saying, no, you cannot use those against new cases uh, involving terrorism because um, because Trump. Uh, so very disappointing uh, uh, performance on the part of congressional Republicans, uh, essentially buying into a, a, a phony uh, presidential tweet. You know, that's his problem. He's, he has the problem. But uh, adults don't need to uh, uh, endorse uh, what is a completely incorrect view of what's at stake in FISA reauthorization? I'm I'm really disappointed. Uh, Jim Jordan, it, he really ought to put his put his coat on and uh, and and give this another thing. All right, um, Nate. Uh, the there's a story that says Team Telecom has announced that it's blocking. Hong Kong, U.S. undersea cable, um, uh, uh, at least the connection from, I think, the Philippines to Hong Kong. Uh, this is basically what we had heard in April, and this is just a confirmation that, they, that the stories that predicted it in April were right, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, DOJ has actually issued a press release um, spelling out a, a little bit about why it's doing this. None of it's surprising. Um, you know, it, it centers on the, the PRC's, you know, sustained efforts to, to surveil, um, these types of data flows and, and collect intelligence about U.S. persons and the U.S. government and, um, and also focuses quite a bit in on the, the um, entity that would be operating the Hong Kong end of this, um, uh, the acronym is PLCN, and their relationship with with the PRC government and its intelligence services and security services. In light of those facts, it, it doesn't surprise me at all that that Team Telecom has has gone in this direction, um, and and it probably portends uh, a lot of complications for anyone trying to to land an undersea cable in in Hong Kong or China. I, well, Hong Kong, obviously, even since April, the argument that they're independent of the uh, uh, Chinese government has gotten weaker. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, we're, we're, we're going to see increasingly all of these rules applied to Hong Kong as though it were Shanghai. Uh, that, that's my guess. Um, so, Gus, I don't. We don't have time to talk about this in any detail, but uh, there really is a storm coming over uh, taxing uh, uh, Silicon Valley and digital services taxes. Uh, 
everybody in the world, since those companies aren't in their countries, is happy to tax those uh, uh, those revenues on a basis that they wouldn't apply to anybody else uh, except the U.S. And the U.S. is saying, no, you can't do that. It's a violation of the um, uh, international agreements we have on how tax and uh, trade ought to work. Uh, um, and uh, what I'm the story seem to suggest is uh, Secretary Mnuchin has given up on the idea that he can negotiate something with the Europeans and is now daring them to do it and threatening to uh, impose sanctions. Yeah, that, this is a long time coming, no surprise at all. Uh, the current status quo is an unstable equilibrium. And the question has always been, how long can we keep it things balanced before it all comes uh, crashing down? Um, and uh, along with a whole lot of other international uh, institutions, this is just one part of the uh, entire international order that's coming uh, crashing down around us. Yep. Uh, and speaking of crashing down around us, uh, is that the uh, 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 technologically designed uh, uh, COVID tracing uh, apps that I hear crashing around us? Uh, uh, Nick, is is there any good news for Silicon Valley and uh, how uh, high-tech contact tracing is working out? Um, remember how I said it would be ready in time for the next pandemic, and then I go, maybe I was wrong. No, in retrospect, I was right the first time. Um, there's just yeah. too many hard issues, like um, knowing the sensitivity needed, um, the privacy complaints. The problem is, is contact tracing, even in the privacy sensitive state, freaks people out. So like, there's all these conspiracy theories that Apple is doing this so that it can know COVID status and no, Apple's protocol is designed so they can't know your status. But the the problem is, is there's just so much backlash. So with Android, you could always get around the restrictions and Singapore tried that and Singapore or, or uh, Singapore went and gave up. And now we're looking at doing a custom wearable to basically have a smartwatch you have to carry on you that does this because the, the phones just ended up not being a reliable platform. Yeah, because uh, there was bound to be somebody in that loop that uh, that uh, you didn't trust. If it was the if you trust the government, you probably don't trust the companies. If you trust the companies, you probably don't trust the government. The the companies tried to milk the fact that there were people who trusted them more than governments to to say uh, you're going to have to abide by our privacy standards. Uh, and I'm sure it was deeply satisfying for them to be able to say that to governments, but uh, it, it really did uh, poison the well. Uh, um, I, I think I, uh, uh, I tweeted this by saying, uh, you know, if you go to the doctor and he kills you while he's treating you, that's called a yatrogenic death, a, a doctor caused death. Uh, but if you go to the software engineers uh, uh, and they let you die, I think we should we need a, a term for it. And I'm, I'm going to suggest mechanogenic. They're, they're protected by Section 230. <laughs> of course they are. Yes. Well, it, 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 I, I'm 
willing to bet that they would argue that uh, uh, because it uh, determines, you know, it's what they decided to post uh, and uh, you should just uh, get over it. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, all right. Uh, it's it's a very sad uh, meltdown here. Uh, and I don't think it'll be ready for the next one because I think now the whole area is full of people who think they know that there's a big privacy issue here, even if there isn't, and who aren't interested in the fixes. They just know there's a privacy issue. So, you know, stay away. All right. Last question. This just, uh, uh, I got a call about this late last night. Uh, the, the distributed denial of services has an enormous dump of data from uh, police files, uh, mostly fusion centers and intelligence centers. Uh, uh, and, uh, uh, my impression is that while it's getting some attention as, wow, look at all this cool stuff we, uh, uh, we outed, uh, there's not much serious harm being done to the police by the dump. Right. Um, so the distributed denial of secrets collective is basically a bunch of WikiLeaks type who got pissed off with the rapist in the embassy. And um, they are much more focused on less curation and not being a tool of Putin. Um, and they've done some interesting stuff with corporate leaks um, from tax shelters and the like. This one seems to be a hacker who got into a support company that supports fusion centers and basically siphoned all their data off and the interesting thing is is this was published immediately the latest document on was june 19th and this was published on june 19th and there's some mildly embarrassing stuff like a uncooperated fbi report that uh there may be some protesters being paid in bitcoin i think that was a joke that they fell for um and um, this, however, I think will out a lot of potential investigations, as you flag when uh, Krebs called. Yeah, that's the problem. When you stick this stuff up, you have no idea whether there's data in there that might disclose the identity of somebody who's undercover and whose life is at risk. Or programs of note or anything else. And so, like... I'm going through and I'm now at 17 gigs of 300 gigs downloaded to see what things are uh, potentially screwed up. Um, cause this is, yeah. this is going to be a thing to watch in the long term because this may do a significant amount of damage as well as kill the outsourced contractor that was outsourced the IT support for all these fusion centers. Yeah. So th this is like going after the uh, 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 the service provider that uh, the, the, uh, that uh, does security uh, uh, for multiple different companies, uh, uh, and uh, and then compromising all the companies at once. All right, uh, I think we're done. 
Thanks to Gus Hurwitz. Thanks to Nate Jones. Thanks to, thanks to Nick Weaver for joining me. This has been episode 321 of the Cyber Law Podcast brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. Please do send us guest suggestions uh, and other feedback. Uh, cyberlawpodcast at steptoe.com is our address. Uh, I occasionally post these uh, stories and seek uh, uh, input from people on whether we should cover them on the podcast uh, uh, on Twitter. I'm at Stuart Baker on Twitter. Uh, please you know, rate the show and leave us a review. That's uh, uh, what we live and die by in terms of getting audience for what we say. Uh, uh, if your review is entertaining enough or good enough, we will read it. And especially the uh, entertaining, abusive ones. I have a couple that came out, uh, not particularly abusive, but uh, still fun. Here's one. It says, I'm a European. I work in tech and I donate to the EFF five stars, which is exactly what I was hoping for. Uh, that's 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 the demographic we're searching, searching for. Uh, 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 people who have a little bit of a sense of humor about what might be their uh, uh, their fixed beliefs. And here's another one that's sort of similar. Uh, whether you're well-established as a cybersecurity innovator or just getting started carving out your role as a change agent within your organization, this is a must-listen podcast for you. Stuart does an incredible job leading conversations that cover a huge breadth of topics relating to the ins and outs of navigating an ever-changing data security and compliance in, uh, environment from leaders who've actually experienced success themselves. Uh, uh, highly recommended listening and subscribing. Uh, so I uh, uh, thank you uh, uh, to both of those reviewers. And uh, if you disagree with those and want to say something else, feel free. I'll read that too. Uh, so thanks very much to everybody. Please join us again next week as we once again provide insights into the latest events in technology, security, privacy, and government.